Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Christy. Wow, that's a powerful story. You know, the, the neat thing, the amazing thing, the thing that I'm privileged to see that maybe you're not as much is that story is repeated over and over and over again. God's doing some neat things here. I love being a part of it. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you're, you're the, the God of the universe. You're not some small, helpless God, Lord, that, that needs our help to do anything. You are the creator of all things. Lord, you're the sustainer of life. You're the author of salvation. Lord, help us just to be still and know that you're God. Lord, help us to... to Set aside all the things that distract us and, and hinder us and, and cause us not to walk the path we ought to walk because we want to serve you in, in our hearts where we want to serve you, but we let everything get in the way. Father, strengthen us and guide us. Help us to be the men and women you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for our time this morning as we, as we open the truth of your word, as we do every Sunday morning. Lord, I pray that you would just... Speak very clearly to us. I pray that your word would be obvious and compelling and challenging and convicting. And I pray through the power of the Spirit, Lord, that you would transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I had the opportunity this week. I was out of town a good bit of the week and came back in Friday afternoon. I had the opportunity to go to a pastor's conference. I don't do a lot of those because, honestly, a lot of them are, I don't feel like very good. But there's one in particular I went to last year, loved it. I went back this year. Johnny Hunt does it. Johnny Hunt's the pastor of First Baptist Woodstock. Uh, he was the president of the Southern Mass Convention for a couple of terms and has been at that church 29 years, just well-known, has, has written extensively. And I just love hearing him because he's, he's still, after all these years, got a passion for the things of the Lord. But his conference this year was themed about how to revitalize your church. And, and there's kind of a, a good and a bad to that. The good to that is everybody needs a, a revitalization sometimes, don't they? We all need that. It's good to look in the mirror sometimes and realize maybe we've slipped a little bit. or We need, we need to change some things around. But kind of the, the flip side of that and, and the sad part of that is that there are so many churches in our world and especially in our country that are just kind of dead right now. There's not a whole lot going on. And, and, and so he talked a lot about churches that, that are dying and, and churches that are going away. And he gave some just amazing kind of scary stats. I wanted you to hear some of them. He said that 17 Southern Baptist churches close every week. 17 Southern Baptist churches close every week. That's about 900 a year, roughly. Around almost 80% of all churches have either plateaued, they're just kind of maintaining, or they are declining. Now, praise the Lord, that's not our church. In fact, he gave the top five things that declining churches are doing, and I, 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 I was just excited. I was saddened for those churches, but excited for our churches because I felt like we were 180 degrees from all five of those things. I really did. But it reminded me as I, as I sat there and as I listened to him talk and as I kind of soaked up his teaching, it reminded me that we as a body of Christ and as individual believers especially always need to be on guard. We always need to be on guard. We can never be satisfied with who we are. We should never come to a point in the history of our church where we say something like this. 
We've done enough. <laughs> Let's just coast, man. We did some cool things back there, right? I mean, God was good, but we've been there, done that. We've worked hard enough. Now let's just relax. Let that never be said of our church. We should, we should never be complacent. We should never think that our, our best years are behind us. We, we always need to be on guard because I want you to understand some very clear. And the, these churches that are struggling and are closing, these individuals that are struggling and, and walking away from their faith, they understand this clearly. Here it is. The enemy is very real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not just some fake mythological story that was written thousands of years ago. Satan is real. And he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think, and I'm speaking for myself here, I think far too often we forget about that. And so our text this morning is going to demonstrate not only Satan's power to control, but his desire to destroy. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We are continuing our study this morning of the book of Genesis, the sermon series we've entitled In the Beginning. This is week 9 or 10, I think, and we've kind of walked through these first two chapters and we've seen some really interesting things. We've seen really from the beginning that God had a plan, that God had a design, that God had a purpose, and that God created the, the sun and moon and stars and the animals, and he, and he formed and He shaped the earth and He prepared it for human life. And so at the, the pinnacle of His creation, He creates Adam and Eve, humankind, and He creates them in His image. Now I want to remind you of a very interesting verse Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, after God has created everything, the Bible says, God saw all that he had made and he declares it, what, you remember? Very good. Now let's just summarize up to this point, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. God is finished with creation, everything is perfect, there's no sin, there's no death, there's no disease, there's no suffering. Everything is perfect and pristine. But in our study today, in Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. So let's look together if we would, beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3. We have it on the screens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly before we move forward and kind of breaking down this text and trying to understand the truth found in here. 
The foundational idea to this point that is created and that God has shown us is that everything is good. There's no sin, there's no disease, there's no problem. And in Genesis chapter 3 is a very pivotal chapter in the Bible because it's at this point that sin is going to enter the world and everything is going to change. So the first two chapters are a picture of God's beautiful plan of creation, His plan, design, the pristine nature of the world without sin. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. The rest of the Bible is God's story of trying to redeem His people back to Himself. In fact, we, we get two chapters of creation and the rest of the Bible is the plan of redemption. That's how important Genesis chapter 3 is. John MacArthur described it like this. It's the third chapter of Genesis which defines for us why the world is the way it is. It defines for us the problem of fallen civilization, of fallen society, of fallen humanity, and a fallen universe. Not to understand the third chapter of Genesis is not to understand anything about the reality of the world in which we live and the people who are part of it. And so I want to think through this morning some truth found in Genesis chapter 3 that ought to remind us of not only the power of Satan, but it ought to remind us that in all things as followers of Christ, we need to keep up our guard. Here's truth number one. The serpent was deceitful. The serpent was deceitful. Now let me just kind of give you a, a statement here before we move forward to help you understand what we mean by this. The devil is going to trick you and lie to you and deceive you. In fact, anything the devil says is a lie. Now we notice two very interesting things about the serpent in verse 1 of chapter 3. Look with me again if you would. I want you to notice these two very interesting things about the serpent. Listen to this text. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. That's the first thing we notice. He's crafty. He's deceitful. There's something different about him. And he said to the woman, so the second thing we see is that he talks. See that? We've got this serpent, or some people say a snake, that is deceitful and crafty, and he talks. Now already we see that that's a little different than what we would expect, right? That's something we don't necessarily think about. That's something we don't necessarily usually talk about. It's something we're not familiar with in our world. And if all we had was Genesis chapter 3, we would be limited in our understanding of the serpent, wouldn't we? Here's a crafty serpent who's speaking, but beyond that we wouldn't really know what to do with this passage of Scripture. But the Bible is given to us as a whole, right? It's not just individual little verses. It's not even individual books. It's this entire picture given to us in one revelation. So if we were to read through Scripture and, and try to understand a little bit more about this passage of Scripture, there are certainly verses that would shed light on it. For example, if you were to skip all the way to the back, and you don't have to do this, I just want you to listen to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, it's very interesting to me how the Genesis and Revelation are bookends in our Scripture, yet oftentimes they refer back to each other. I think that's kind of fascinating. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down. Listen. That ancient serpent, there's the word from Genesis 3, called the devil or Satan. See that? 
Skip ahead a little bit to Revelation chapter 20 verse 2. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. So we see in the book of Revelation that this ancient serpent that we read about in Genesis chapter 3 is actually not just a talking snake, it's Satan himself. It's the enemy. And he is going to do everything he can to destroy and to deceive and to kill Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it like this, The devil entered the serpent. For there is no doubt that it was a real serpent in which Satan was and in which he conversed with Eve. Now I'm going to show you a video. I'm not ready yet, Wanda. I need to preface this. This is just a fascinating video. When we were in South Asia a few weeks ago, we were walking down the street one day and I I told a missionary friend, I said, I would enjoy seeing... A snake charmer. Never seen one. I think it'd be interesting to see. And so if we happen to you know, go past an area, we'll stop. And I'd like to see when he said, I don't, we don't see him very often, but we'll take a look. It wasn't two minutes later. And I don't know if somebody heard us and word spread. It wasn't two minutes later, a man walked up to us with a basket. A wicker basket had a top on it. And he walked right up to us and he opened the top and in the basket was a cobra. Yeah, that's what I did too, right? Whoa. And so we all, we get our cameras out and we're videoing the thing. And I, and I was very aware of my distance. I mean, in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, it's four feet long. He can strike here. I need to be five and a half feet back. I mean, I'm, as I'm videoing, I'm thinking all this stuff, right? And we all got our cameras out and the guy's just touching the cobra and the cobra's climbing. I'm going to show you the video in a second. But here's what I want you to do when you watch the video. I didn't notice this until probably the seventh or eighth time I'd watched. I mean, I watched that video over and over. And all the time I'm watching it, I'm focused on the snake. So when you see it, I want you to watch the snake. But more importantly than the snake, the fascinating part of me is there are four guys, local guys, that just come walking up. You're going to see them coming in. They're going to walk in and they're going to give some money because the guy wants you to give money. And several of them are going to reach down and either touch the snake or kind of get close to the snake. I want you to watch what they do with their hands after they give the money or after they touch the snake. I want you to watch it and see if you pick up on it, and then I'm going to talk about it when we're finished. Okay, let's, let's roll the video. Bring the lights down, too, if you would, please, so we can see it a little better. They're the believers, the guys, I mean, the, the guys coming up behind him. See him? I'm getting out of Dodge, by the way. They're on the left. You see that? Watch them. See him touch it? See what he did with his head? See him? See him? See his hands? Watch the guy in the striped shirt behind him. See him touching his head and his heart? See that? Watch this. Oh, it gets better. Just wait. <laughs> See it on his head? <laughs> I mean, what do you say after that, right? I mean, it was amazing. Did you see what those guys were doing? 
See him touching their head. You know what they were doing? I didn't get this until I watched it several times and I started doing a little research. They were worshiping. That's exactly what they were doing. That was a big deal and they wanted to touch that cobra and there was the worship. Let me, let me read for you. I found a, a, a little quote as I was doing a little research. In this particular part of the world, in this religion especially, a snake is not an evil creature but a divinity representing eternity. Life as well as death, they are associated with Shiva and Vishnu and several other divinities. They're worshiping this thing. And when you begin to notice that, and you begin to understand that, and you begin to look in, in that particular part of the world, you begin to see snakes and pictures of cobras all over. In fact, at the worship services, they have, they have actually these, these carved out snakes that they hold, and there's fire, and it's, it's just very bizarre. But here's what struck me about this as I'm studying through Genesis chapter 3. In this particular part of the world, they're deceived and they're living in utter darkness. But just track with me just for a second. Satan comes as a snake in Genesis chapter 3 to deceive Eve, right? These people are so deceived, he doesn't even have to hide it. He still comes as a snake. That's darkness. You understand that? That's the world these people are living in. And so we, we see this picture in Scripture of this talking snake, this, this serpent that demands attention and that demands Eve listen and, and eventually demands that Eve listen to him and, instead of God. And when we think about the evil and the sin, but beyond that, the word that keeps coming to my mind is deception, right? Satan is going to deceive you. He's going to lie to you. He's going to trick you. He's going to steal from you. He's going to kill you just like he's deceiving these people that are actually worshiping a snake. I think we need to have our guards up, folks. I think far too many Christians minimize the power of the devil. Now, again, Christ is more powerful. And we're not going to cower down to Satan, but he is very real and very deceptive and he wants to destroy you. Now one of the questions people ask, and I want to answer this question because it's, I think it's an important thing to understand. Some people say, okay, so the Lord created everything. He must have created sin, or maybe in a theological term we would say He must have ordained sin. Well, let me answer that question biblically. Very clearly, God is not responsible for sin. So we see examples like Habakkuk one thirteen. Speaking of the Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. 1 John 1.5, there is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. There's so many scriptures. I had to literally cut them out last night. I didn't have time to use them all. Over and over and over we see this picture that God is not responsible. He doesn't ordain our sin. And I think some of us need to kind of step up to the plate and understand we shouldn't blame other people for the mistakes that we make. We're going to be held responsible for them one day. It's, it's real common in our world to blame somebody else, isn't it? If you don't believe that, just study politics a little bit. <laughs> Oh, it's not my fault. I mean, they, they did this. And they passed this bill. And we, we laugh at those people. But we do the same sort of thing, don't we? We get to the point of saying things like, well, you know, my, my parents did this. And then, or, or maybe I had a friend that led me astray and did this. Or maybe I've got a co-worker that does certain things and I kind of fall into place. All those things may be true. But here's the bottom line scripturally for you. You are responsible for your lives. 
You're responsible for your actions. And the Lord will one day hold you accountable. You say, okay, great. So, so God didn't ordain sin. We see that. God's separate from sin, right? He can't look upon sin. That's why when we sin, we separate ourselves from the Lord. We, we see that biblically. But okay, Adam, good. So here's the question I have. Why would God even allow that stuff? I mean, why would God even allow sin? Why, why would God allow evil? And kind of here's where we're going with this. Here, here's where our minds want to go. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? We've, we've heard that before. That's a question a lot of people ask. Why would God allow this evilness in our world? Why wouldn't he just do away with all evil once and for all? Well, there are a couple things we need to understand biblically. Again, let's think biblically about this, right? The first thing we need to understand very clearly is that God's ways are not our ways. And if you're going to try to understand exactly what he's doing in this world and where he's coming from and try to understand his logic, you may as well stop because we're never going to understand it. In fact, we read in Isaiah 55, 8, The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, God's got a different plan than we have. God's not finite like we are. God doesn't make decisions based on emotion like we do. God is just and good and loving, and He makes the decisions He wants to make because He's God. You say, okay, so God makes these decisions and He can ordain the things he wants to ordain and and he's in control. But isn't God's purpose or isn't God's plan or isn't God required on some level, Adam, to, to make us happy at least? I mean, he created us and put us on this planet. Can he at least make us happy? Well, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again and it's going to offend some of you, but it's biblical. God didn't create us so we could be happy. (laughs) God created us to be holy. And sometimes those are vastly different. God created us very simply to bring glory to himself. One writer summed it up kind of like this. We tend to think that if God exists, then his goal for human life is happiness in this world. That God's role, I love the way he says this, is to provide a comfortable environment for his human pets. We are not God's pets, and man's end is not happiness in this world, but the knowledge of God, which will ultimately bring true and everlasting human fulfillment. See, God's got a plan that we don't have. God understands things that we don't have, and sometimes, this is a hard thing to to think about, and, and it's the hard thing even really to say, sometimes bad things happen in order to bring glory to the Lord. You say, man, that's harsh. That's hard. I mean, in our, in our minds, we don't want bad things to happen. We want good things to happen. But sometimes the tragic and the, and the horrible and, and the incredibly difficult are used by the Lord to bring glory to himself. I'll give you an example. One of the guys that we've worked with in, in India is um, a church planner. And he's done some pretty amazing things. He wasn't with us this time, but he was with us last time. And his testimony, I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but his testimony is is just this very profound picture of the the glory of the Lord in the midst of very difficult circumstances. His basic story is this. He wasn't a follower of Christ. He wasn't interested in the things of the Lord. His wife got pregnant, had a baby that died, died. The baby died very shortly after birth. 
And so he's going through this terrible ordeal, this very difficult circumstance, and he goes to his religious leader and nothing. He doesn't get anything from him. He, he talks to other people and he's got nothing. He kept saying to me, as he's telling me his testimony, he said, I never had peace. That's what he said to me. And he said that this other believer had been praying for me and, and, and been witnessing to me. And he said, through this difficult process, I came to know Christ. And he said, I experienced peace untold. It's like the Philippians 4 model, that, that peace that passes all understanding. And so what the Lord did in this man's life is he allowed this tragedy to lead this man to the Lord. This man has now led hundreds and hundreds of other people to the Lord, who in turn have led hundreds of people to the Lord, who in turn have planted hundreds of churches now, in my mind, this is Adam's little finite mind here. If I could take that one situation in that man's life, I would probably go back and change that for him. That would be my personal desire. Because it's horrific and it's, it's difficult and he struggled through that. But what we see is even in the midst of this terrible tragedy, the Lord used that for His glory. And the Lord did amazing things. His ways are not our ways. We can't try to understand life in finite little boxes and try to figure out what the Lord is doing because He understands things we'll never understand. And as, as hard as it is, I think sometimes we need to look at the difficult things and at least take comfort in the fact that God is going to receive glory through them. God, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why you allowed this person to die or, or to suffer. I don't understand why this evil had to take place. Well, you could have stopped it if you'd have wanted to. And the Lord says, but I've, I've got a plan. I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for this world. And I'm going to use this tragedy in ways you'll, you'll not even understand until eternity to bring glory to myself. And others will come to know me through it. And my name will be spread throughout the earth. And we, we can argue all day long about the origins of evil and where it came from and if it's good. All, we can argue about all those things, but here's the bottom line. Evil exists and the devil is very real and he's going to deceive you and trick you and lie to you. 1 Peter 5.8 Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy you. You understand that? And the more you live for Christ, the harder He's going to work. Now that's exactly what we see in the next few verses. So look in with me in Genesis 3. So He comes to the woman, He questions God. Did God really say? And then the woman answers Him, we can eat of the fruit. And then He kind of questions again in verse 4. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now here's the second truth I want you to understand. Not only is the devil going to try to deceive you and trick you and lie to you, but truth number two, the temptation that he brings before you is always going to be desirable. You understand that? Sometimes we see these pictures of Satan and he's the ugly, red, horn, pitchfork, you know, the silly kind of thing, or he's demonic. And That's not true of him. He was the most beautiful of the creation, created angels. You, you need to study some scripture there. He was beautiful in appearance. And when he comes and tempts you, he's going to tempt you with things that are desirable. Things that you want. Maybe things that you crave. Maybe things you've been thinking about and he gets in your head and he tricks you and deceives you and puts things in front of you that are desirable that will ultimately lead you away from the Lord. But here's kind of, the, in my mind at least, the, the scariest part. 
The Bible doesn't say that Eve ran off looking for Adam. I mean, ran off looking for Satan. The Bible says instead that Satan came to her, right? He came and he tempted her with things that are desirable. And there's this interesting progression. I want you to look with me if you would. There's an interesting progression in the way in which he tempted her. I think this is important for us. If we're going to understand that the devil is deceitful, that he's going to trick us, he's going to lie, he's going to destroy, he's going to tempt us with things that are desirable, that are found outside of the truth of the Word of God. He's got this pattern he follows. We see it in Genesis 3, and we see it all through Scripture. Here's the pattern. I've got him on the board for you as well. Number one, Satan questioned God's work. Look at what he does in verse 1. He's going to question God's word. Did God really say? You see that? Eve. Now, now come on, Eve. Seriously. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? Do you think he really meant it like that? Right? He's just, he's just beginning to, to question God's word, right? And all he needs to do, and this is, is bring this forward to our lives today, all he needs to do is to plant a small little seed of doubt in your mind. That's where he wants to start. If he can plant that small little seed, now he's got a kind of a wedge in there, right? He's got a foot in the door, so to speak. And so here's his second tactic. Bring it up if you would. He's not only going to question God's word, but the second thing he's going to do, now that he's questioned it, he's going to deny God's word. I want you to think a little bit. Question it, plant a seed, begin to wonder. And this may happen over the course of weeks or months or even years for you. Little seeds of doubt. A little bit of question... I'm not sure. I want you to wonder if it's true. And then at some point, he's going to outright deny. Look at what he does in verse 4. You will not certainly die, right? The Lord said you're going to die. Satan says the word of God is not true. We're going to deny the word of God. So he's going to, he's going to plant seeds of doubt. He's going to deny the word of God. Now here's the third thing he does. He's going to substitute his own lies for the truth. After he's planted these seeds of, of doubt, after he's outright denied the Word of God, then he's going to substitute the truth of the Word of God for his own lies. Because look at what he says in verse 5. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And here's the lie. You will be like God. See that? Eve, all you got to do is eat of this fruit, right? All you got is to eat of this fruit from this tree, and if you eat from it, then you're going to be like God. That's not what the Word of God teaches. That's not what God Himself said, but that's what the enemy wants her to believe, right? He's tempting her with what? Something that's desirable. See that? Eve, if you'll just do this, then you'll be like God. Notice what He didn't say. If you eat this, you will be separated eternally from the Lord, and you will perish. He didn't say that, did He? If you eat this, you will bring sin into the world and death and disease along with it. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't tempt her with things that aren't desirable because he never does. He tempts her with things that she wants that are desirable to her and he substitutes the truth for a lie. I listed out a few things, just kind of applications here. Here's some of the lies that Satan tells us. You can't really be happy giving your life to Christ. You would be much happier seeking the pleasures of the world. That's a lie he tells us, isn't it? Oh, there's no real, there's no real joy in the things of Christ. Those people are just, oh man, they're just, they're stuck up and they're, they're, they're bigots, they would say, right? They don't care about anybody. They care about themselves. There's nothing good there. 
Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have heard from somebody at some time in your life, I'm not coming to church because all that are there are hypocrites. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, where, where a better place for them to be than in church, right? And they're right, we're, we're all sinners. But the devil wants us to buy this lie that you can't find true happiness in Christ, you can't find fulfillment, you need instead find the pleasures of the world, Right? Or here's another lie. Living your life based on the truth of the Word of God is dull and boring. You need to ignore the Bible and do what makes you feel good. Right? That's, that's popular now, isn't it? There's no, there's no absolute truth. Students, you've heard this over and over again. You hear all the time that there is no absolute truth. You hear it. Whatever makes you feel good, do it. That's kind of the popular mode of the day, right? That's what people say to us today. That's the way that a lot of people live. Well, let me just speak truth into your life just for a second. There is absolute truth. And we can live by it. And when we do live by it, it brings us a level of joy and contentment and fulfillment and hope that is not found in the world. Adults, we all know people that have spent their life looking for happiness in the things of the world only end up at the end utterly devastated because they can't find it. Because it's not there. See, the, the devil wants to lie to you and trick you and make you believe that the Word of God is not true. And so he tempts you with things that are desirable. Now we need to finish up. We're winding down here. Verse 7. So he comes and has this conversation. He's deceitful. He tricks. He's offering something that's good. And then they take of the fruit in verse 7. The eye, well, let's back up to verse 6, actually. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food... Pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. By the way, there are three things. I don't have time this morning. There are three specific things in there he tempted her with. Let me read it again. Just hear these three things. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Right? All things that she wanted. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's truth number 3. The sin they committed was life changing. The sin they committed was life changing. Let me just give you stark reality. And I'll, I'll, I'll... just being transparent with you, I'll, I'll admit to you, sometimes I do what I'm about to say we should do. Sometimes we minimize sin, don't we? Oh, it's just not a big deal. It's just one time, or it's just two times, or I'm going I'm to do it this last time, and then I'm going to stop. And we, 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 We've all been there, and we've all been there, done that. Here's what we don't understand. Sin is life-changing. It will steal kill, and destroy. And so when Adam and Eve take of this fruit, sin enters the world, everything changes. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, it's just, Therefore, it's just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Let me just define very quickly for you sin. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God. Failure to conform to His commands. We, we, we sin in thoughts, in actions, in deeds, in attitudes. And there are all kinds of ways we can sin. I want to read you just a couple of scriptures here and then I'm going, to, I'm going to finish this thing up. Many of us in here are followers of Christ. We're Christians. We've been Christians a number of years. But I got a feeling in, in a church this large and in the number of services we have, there's going to be somebody here this morning that doesn't know Christ. 
So I want to give you just some real clear scriptures. I'll finish up this one. As we think about sin and how deceitful the devil is and how he's going to tempt us with things that are desirable and how life-changing sin is, I want you to listen to what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, or the first part of it at least, says, For the wages of sin is death. Now pause for just a second. Let's remember, sin causes disease. It causes sickness. It causes heartache. It leads to death. But the second part of Romans 6.23 is the beautiful picture that the rest of the Bible unpacks for us. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. So I just, I, I just want to finish with this idea. There's somebody here this morning that doesn't understand the forgiveness of Christ. Maybe you've been struggling in your life with certain things you're doing or certain situations. Maybe you've been looking for peace and hope and you just can't find it. Maybe you've been really looking in life for happiness. I mean, you've, you've been seeking it out and reading books and talking to people. And you just, for whatever reason, you still feel unfulfilled. I want to tell you, it's because you don't have Christ. The Bible says if you'll repent of your sins and accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved and you will have peace and hope and joy and eternity with Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to give you here in just a minute an opportunity. Now, I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. I want you to do one of two things. One of two things. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want this day for you to repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Here's the second thing. If you are already a believer, and you say, I'm secure in my salvation, Adam. I'm good. I, I know I'm there. I've been there. Then I want you to pray for those that don't yet know Jesus. Because I promise you, in a church outside, there are a lot of people here this morning that don't know Christ. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more people within driving distance of this church that don't yet know Christ. I think as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be intentional about praying for those that don't yet know. And so I'm going to pray for us right now and encourage you, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, let this be the day that you do that. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace, Lord. I, I pray for our church this morning, Lord, as we've just been confronted with the truth of your word. We've been confronted with the devil and with how deceitful he is and powerful he is and what he desires to do, Lord, and how sin is so life-changing. I pray, Lord, just very clearly, Lord, I just want to be as clear as I can. If there's someone here this morning that has not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray you would break their heart. I pray they would recognize right now their need for you. And I pray you do a miraculous work in their life, Father. If there's someone outside of the walls of this building this morning, somewhere in our community, in, in, in this region, Lord, I know there are thousands of people that don't yet know you. Lord, help us to be the hands and feet. Help us to have a, a passion to share our faith and in, invite people to be a part of our church. And Father, I pray through our obedience and through the power of your word working, you do a, a mighty work. And bring revival to this community for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance for the next couple of minutes. If you want to come and pray. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to talk to you about that this morning. If you want to pray for somebody that's lost or something you're dealing with. We're going to open up the altar to you.
If you want to join this church, you come. You respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.